Hey, you're listening to Sit Down Stand-Ups. I'm Ari Azizian, and my guest today is a very funny comedian. He's one of the greats, uh, Mr. Rich Scheidner. He's made numerous appearances on Carson, Letterman, HBO. He's the co-author of one of my favorite books, I Killed. And if you haven't read this book, it's great. It's uh, uh, Rich Scheidner and Mark Schiff. They compiled these crazy stories from the road, from comics like Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Joan Rivers, Kevin Nealon, and hundreds more. It's really great. Super funny read. Definitely read it if you haven't. And uh, he also uh, starred in the documentary I Am Comic, which is a great documentary. And uh, this interview was super fun. Rich was nice enough to invite me up to his house, and his office is decorated with uh, Lenny Bruce posters and Elvis Costello records, so I knew we were going to get along right away. And uh, he told me some great stories about opening up for the Ramones before anybody hardly knew them, and doing his first Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and a ton of other great stories with Seinfeld and some great early comedy club stories. Uh, Really fun. So here's my interview with Rich Scheidner. Now that your picture's in the paper being rhythmically admired, you can have it a one that you have ever desired. All you gotta tell me now is wow, 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 wow. Welcome to the working week. Oh, I know it don't thrill you. I hope it don't kill you. Welcome to the working week. You gotta do it till you do it till you get it. I actually, I think we have a little bit in common. I was like, this is Wikipedia journalism, but I was reading your Wikipedia and it said when you're in college, you're like on your path to law school and you're a business major. Yeah. And I was too. And it said that you're writing for Mad Magazine. No, I didn't write for my, you wrote, I was submitted stuff. That's to... what I did my whole college. I was just submitting cartoons and jokes to Mad Magazine. <laughs> that's so funny. All those years later, it's the same frustrated. Yeah. That's what drove me to do stand up is because I was sending things to National Lampoon. Mad magazines. I sent things to all sorts of magazines, like a lunatic. Yeah, just in an envelope with yeah. no real address that's yeah, verified. Yeah, and, they, and this was again this so long ago. This is the seventies, and they were just send this stuff back to me. We don't mm. take unsolicited material, exactly. And I was clueless. I go, oh, I'll send them some more stuff. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they didn't mean me. Right. Yeah. One time I googled National Lampoon. They had a headquarters out here in Hollywood, and yeah. I drove. And they tore it down, and I could just see the outline of National Lampoon on the side of the building. <laughs> My dreams were crushed. <laughs> so, so that's how you got interested into stand-up. You were kind of a writing. You were writing jokes. Or I was always no, but I was funny around people. I was funny. Mm-hmm. I was always funny, but I didn't know any clue that I could actually perform. I didn't have feel like I was a performer, and I didn't know where to go or do anything. There weren't comedy clubs everywhere. I mean, when I tell you, I didn't know. I, I was doing stand-up comedy in Washington, D.C. I started in 77. I was doing it for almost a year before one of my classmates at law school said, you know, they have young guys like comics doing stand-up comedy, what you're doing up in New York City. I was like, what? And she <laughs> took me idea. up there, and it was um, the improvisation at 44th and 9th, and there was Catch a Rising Catch Star on 1st Avenue between like 77 and 78th, and I forget, uh, then right around the corner, like between 79th and 80th, on 2nd Avenue was the comic strip. And... She took me up there, and I we couldn't get in the improv or a catch, so we went over in the comic strip. And one of the first comics I saw at the, I'm sitting there watching, you know, packed, you know, packed yeah. places packed. I'm like in the audience and watching comic after comic, and every comic comes up, I go, I'm funnier than that guy. Right. I'm funnier in my mind. Yeah. Right? And then the last guy came up had killer material and was funny. It was Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld. Wow. I mean, I didn't know him then as being Jerry Seinfeld, right. but I never forgot the guy. He had a great routine about going to amusement parks, and I never forgot the. The, the helpless son. father and son. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that was the bit, you know? And I went, oh, I'm not ready for this yet. If, wow. that's, the, if that's the standard, I'm not here yet. Wow. But if I used that as a standard, I never would have been there. Right. <laughs> I picked the one guy, I go, well, I can't reach that standard anyway, ever. But, you know, yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. So then, were you in DC? Were you just playing like an open mic? There were there were no open mics. Venues, See, I'm trying to tell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we joked about it. I mean, I, I you know, a friend of mine became got into doing stand up comedy. Comedy later, and he was mm-hmm. a musician in DC. I'd go around to the they they call them singer songwriter nights, right. uh, hoot nanny nights, Poetry in, night in pu- nice. pubs, these pubs and bars around DC. And I'd talk my way into doing stand up comedy. Yeah. He said one time he's sitting there waiting to go and play us one of his songs. And he said, this guy jumps up, just starts talking. And and next thing you know, I'm laughing, other people laughing. Then you left, and he's like, what was that? What, <laughs> who, who who let him do that? Right. I want to do that, too. He just got up and talked, but me people laughing, and then you left. No guitar, no, you know, I, I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know. I talked to a pizza uh, parlor guy in my neighborhood. I lived in, right in D.C. off DuPont Circle. I talked to him, and let me come in, and, and he had like five little tables. And I'd stand there and try to do comedy where people are eating pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly, like, this is like a homeless guy just wander off the street. I was a young guy, I wasn't right. like a homeless looking guy, but yeah, I didn't care. I, whatever, I there was no place to do it, so I had wow. to make my own places. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like now, like too. I feel like now it's pretty. The open mic scene is so crazy, and there's well, it's so, so crazy. Comics, but, it's the, but you, you have to kind of make your own opportunity. It, it's you. You have more comedians than are potential audience members. Exactly. You, and when these open mics are strictly comics performing for comics, there's no worse audience than right. other, a room full of other comics thinking about what they're going to do or what they just did. Exactly. Nobody's listening to what you're doing. Right. <laughs> so how how did you transition? Did you once you went to New York? Did you, were you like I got to move there right away? I was or? doing it, and, and I started, believe it or not, getting work. Um, in Washington D.C., within I was started in January of '77. I started getting little work like opening act stuff. Yeah, weird, really weird, like twenty five, fifty bucks. My first job was opening up for the Ramones. No way, really? Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. There was a place called the Child Harold. Yeah, my buddy was a bartender. I'm hanging around there, so he told the owner, who was this legendary crazy club owner named Bill Hurd in Washington D.C., that I was. A comedian. Yeah. Right. And the guy comes over and says, You're a comedian? I said, Yeah. He says, You want to open up for this band next week? I'll give you $50. <laughs> that was a no brainer for him because the Ramones already had a record contract, I guess. Right. And as I found out later, he would have had to hire a band for 500, 600 bucks. Oh, wow. So $50. For I was, a comic, I was right? you know, it, it was perfect for him. And so I, I didn't even ask who it was. I come back the next week. It said, The Ramones from New York City, the Ramones. <laughs> I didn't know who they were. I could have said anything. Could have said, didn't matter. I, I walk in and there's punk. I never seen punk before. I didn't know punk. Oh my god! All of a sudden, there was all these people there that had a real, you know, a lot of leather. There were some shaved heads, mohawks, and, and yeah. studs. There was that early safety pins through the oh. cheek and stuff. You know, there was a lot of a lot of anger. You could feel it. Yeah. You know, I walked in and it was just like, arr, arr. and I go back to the bar where Bill Hurd was there. He said, "They're going to kill you, man. They're going to. You're not going to make 15 minutes in front of this." I said. To me, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make the 15 minutes. It's yeah. like a rodeo event. I'm going on that bull to the buzzer goes. I'm getting that fi- $50. I'm getting that 50 So he went double or nothing. So I go double or nothing with you. If you don't make five minutes. If you make five minutes, yeah. I'll give you 100 If you don't make five, you get nothing. <laughs> you know, they introduced me. I don't know what they said in the introduction. I know all the audience heard was, ladies and gentlemen, not the Ramones. <laughs> they booed me. And I, in my mind, uh, it was like 300 people packed in this little room. But it was a tiny room that only ha- held about 80 100 people my God, as yeah. i found out later because i just you know how things have changed in my right. and there was a there was a guy there who's a, a reporter who did a, a documentary about another place in dc who told me later so there were only about 80 100 people there but it didn't matter because i didn't know what i was doing yeah. and they were angry that i was even walking up there. <laughs> i mean they booed me before i got on the stage they booed so hard i had to walk right through them they just little, <laughs> they're like oh oh you suck <laughs> and i just get up on stage and and you know you believe me you know this i did not 
could not do anything but what I was going to do. Exactly. There's yeah. no, you know, I had to act. It went from A to B to no C. So I just started. No, there's yeah. no. Oh, I'll do my special punk material I worked up, or I'm going to improv. You know, right. I'm going to I'm going to get loose. I had no. It was just. I don't even do it in a few months. Do you remember just, your opener but for that oh, show by chance? God. I can't remember. I remember. I remember my first joke I ever did. that got a laugh. Yeah. What was that? Uh, this is a. This is because I because the first time I ever did it, uh, I taped it. I started to tape somewhere. I'm, I'm looking oh, for wow. it now. Yeah. I listened to it a couple of years ago. It's it's no me talking, me talking, and one guy at one point just goes, huh, "That's all. <laughs> That's it." it wasn't even a, you know? It's just kind of like he started laughing. Nobody followed me quick. Right. But this, so this is the first joke I said. Uh, I said you can always tell who's going to win a wrestling match just by the introduction. In professional wrestling, will be in the far corner in the orange tights from Hackensack, New Jersey, and 187 pounds, Ed Arnold, his opponent. From parts unknown, <laughs> at 417 pounds, wearing the bumper from a 1955 Buick on his forehead. Please welcome Haystacks Calhoun. Right. The same way we were high school wrestling. In 130-pound weight class, from Oakcrest Regional High School, two-time New Jersey State champion, two-time Christmas tournament champion, undefeated senior captain Bob Siraki. His opponent from Pennzoil High School, former student council treasurer. <laughs> now... I, that's the first joke I ever wrote that got yep. any kind of reaction. So I didn't. I don't remember what else I had to go along with it. I'm sure it was stupid. I'm sure it was, you know, just as bad or worse. But it didn't matter. I start talking. They're booing. One guy had enough. I guess I kept talking too long. A couple of minutes probably. Yeah. And he just threw his beer at me. You know, he had a... Oh, jeez. I was lucky. They, I remember they had mugs. Yeah. Know? It's lucky he didn't just throw the whole mug at me. Yeah. But he just shot his beer. You know, you just shoot a beer out of a right. mug. And he hit me, and I I didn't move. I didn't I didn't. Leave. I just kind of wiped it off and kept right on talking. <laughs> right back to my act because I didn't have anything. I was like, anyway, my dad said, like, right back to my act. <laughs> and then the other guy, the other guy, hit me with a beer, and I didn't move oh, on that geez. one. So then they all just started hitting me with beers, and then the club owner realized quickly because I was a small, tiny little stage. Right. It was a small room. He, you know, the amplifiers are right next to me. The They're drum kit was right wet. behind me. Yeah, right. everything's getting wet. Every beer's being thrown at the oh, stage. Geez. So he's back there waving the money just at the bar. Go, come on, come get it, come get it, come you win, come. <laughs> so I go back there, and we go behind the um, bar. Was the kitchen mm. door? You know, the kitchen behind the bar. So we go through the kitchen door because I'm just soaked from head to toe. With beer. <laughs> and Ramones are standing there with their guitars waiting to go on. And one of the Ramones looks at me, and goes, "Cool act, man." <laughs> Like that's what I did. That's what I did. That's now here's so the funny. here's the I never had this. I had this. That Bill, Bill heard. He loved me. He was loving. So we drank. We partied all night. Right. He said, "You're unbelievable. You got such guts. I love you, man. You're gonna do it." So he comes back like a week later. He brings it back to open it for somebody else. Gives me another fifty dollars. Wow. And I do I do my act. Now I hadn't done it before. Yeah. Right, because I didn't get anything out. So I do whatever I did, I did. Right. Did okay, right? I mean, I'm saying, I can't remember enough for He goes, I'll come back next week. I got another one for you next week. You'll open up for this group. You know, I can't remember who they were. Yeah. Little, little local bands mm -hmm. or whatever. So the third time I come back, now this time I'm doing the act I'd done the week before. I start, I'm like a couple minutes in it, and the club owner now, he walks up to right in front of me, he goes, you're doing the same shit you did last week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not paying you to do the same shit you did last week. I've already heard it. He oh, doesn't realize that the dynamics of stand-up comedy that I'm I'm going to do the same act but if there's a different audience they don't know that you know right. he just screaming at me literally just standing there screaming oh, at me God. so I finished doing what I was doing and he paid me right? yep. whatever it was the $50 and I'd still come in there from drink for once in a while but he'd always give me the fish eye like I like I scammed him <laughs> like you know you did the same act and I paid oh you again God. you owe me $50 he always had that kind of thing to him you know <laughs> well that's amazing because that must have been a time where like even the club owners or the bookers didn't even really understand stand up themselves. Where they were like, no. they thought that it was all off the cuff. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't. He didn't have any idea, and I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, until like, you then then this place called L. Brookman's opened in in like June of '77, right? Which was down in southeast 
Washington, D.C., in a place called Anacostia. Uh, dangerous neighborhood, bad neighborhood. <laughs> somebody used to do a joke. That somebody said, how do you get to El Brookman's? And somebody said, you drive south on Pennsylvania Avenue until you get scared. <laughs> but there was this little weird bar there, this young guy, his parents owned the bar, and he decided to do comedy, and he put an ad in the paper. So I showed up, and then all these other guys showed up to go do comedy. You know, some friend of mine said in the Washington Post, in the classified ads, this is how old it is, right? <laughs> Pre-internet. Right. That this this bar said they're looking for comedians. So I went down there. So Lewis Black was there. Wow. Uh, T.P. Moore Rooney, Kevin Rooney, Ron Zimmerman, wow. Bill Masters, John Heyman, a lot of guys who, who eventually had careers in, yeah. in, in comedy and a bunch of other people. But we just started doing comedy on the weekends in this bar and it, be, it became a hit immediately. Wow. Like word of mouth, the place was packed. Yeah. And it'd be like, Mercedes and limos pulling up to this nasty neighborhood, and Jeez. they pay these young kids like to watch their car for them. You know, which <laughs> makes, here, here's ten dollars. Tell your buddies don't screw up my car. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, and it was just this, and it became like a thing. And we we did that on weekends there. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. You know Tom Rhodes? Yeah, yeah. You know the Tom, Tom Rhodes. Rhodes? Podcast, He'll tell you. Yeah. Ask him a story. He'll tell you. He was twelve years old. His uncle was doing comedy with us. I don't remember his uncle's name. Yeah. He was doing comedy. So Tom Rhodes' dad, you know, is. Yeah. Uncle's brother brings Tom, twelve year old Tom, into this club we he were. Saw he saw me 12? doing. Wow. T- you know, I was like 24, 24 tw- yeah. something like that. And so Tom was twelve, and he that's crazy know, came in there. And, wow. Yeah, and he remembered like he remembers it. That's crazy. Yeah, because we made fun of him. We walked in because the door was right by the stage. <laughs> He's probably little, the only twelve year old. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He came in with a big Washington Redskins jacket or something. <laughs> so whoever's on stage, I forget it was making fun that's of. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So then you're in. So you started out in DC, and then you went up to New York. Right? Seventy nine, yeah. Seventy nine, yeah. Cool. And then it was like the improv and the comedy yeah, yeah, strip yeah. I met all, all those guys. I, I landed the improv first, but then I eventually auditioned the comedy strip and Catch the Rising Star. Became regulars there too, and you just sort of ran around and did a lot of sets. But they, but it was hot. It was, it was um, packed all the time. These clubs were packed from like eight o'clock at night until three or four in the morning. Packed. People were eager to see comedy. You couldn't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go to Toledo and see with this going on. Right. You couldn't even go out anywhere in Jersey and see what was going on. You couldn't go. Couldn't go to Connecticut. You know? There were some scenes like that we had in Washington D.C. Yeah. in the seventies. And Boston had it, a place called the Ding Ho up there. Oh, yeah. There was a scene down in Houston at the Comedy Workshop mm-hmm. where where Hicks and Kennison, those guys kind of were started in the late seventies. There were some scenes in different. Of course, San Francisco had a right. scene. There's Besides L.A. and New York, stuff, yeah. there were some, but nobody knew each other was doing it. It's not like we knew, oh, there's a scene there. Right. You got to remember, this was, you know, I, a guy named uh, Tony DePaul who ran the Holy City Zoo came into El Brooklyn's one. He was visiting relatives. And somebody said, there's this comedy scene. You know, these guys are doing it at this bar. And he came in and said, I'm, I got a, we got a place like this out in San Francisco. San Francisco. I was like, what? <laughs> so, oh, yeah, we do this, like, a little bar just like this, right. ADC place. They were all very tiny places. Yeah. The, the open mic, the first one I did was called Dirty Trick Saloon, but it was where Holy City used to be. Right. And it's just right. this tiny little, like, right. 30 people, yeah. maybe. So when he came in there in, like, 78, again, you know, I was like, so I just found out this place was in New York. So you mean there's other guys doing this in San Francisco? It's almost like, you, like you're like an aboriginal tribe, and you find out, oh, there's some other people over that mountain there? Right, yeah. somebody, somebody said they saw some people look like us over there on that exactly. mountain. You had no idea. Robin's over there, Bobcat's over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah the we names. didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know. Wow. That's didn't incredible. know Boston had a scene going on. Didn't know. Wow. And then you did uh, Johnny Carson. 84. Times. That was 84. The first time I did 84. I think, again, I'm not a guy that did a lot. I think I did 14 or 16 with Tonight Show with him and then a couple with Leno. Wow. A few, three or four with Leno or something like that. And then, like, how 
big of a deal was that first time going on it? I mean, well, it was huge. It was that was you know everything I'd aimed for. When I got to New York, that's when I found out the goal was Johnny Carson. I didn't realize that before. Mm-hmm. When I got there, everybody was working toward that goal. In fact, I just had lunch with a guy named Mike Langworthy. You don't probably know who he is, but he's a comic from that. He's a really great uh, TV writer, and and he was a stand-up back in that time. And and he said, you know, we were talking specifically about Seinfeld. And I said, he always had that discipline. And Mike knew it too. Of course he did. He had that discipline and vision combination. Besides unbelievably great work ethic right. and talent. But like you'd go out to do these Jersey gigs, these early Jersey gigs that started in 1979. Mm. They were just bars out in Jersey. They'd do a comedy night. But they'd pay us $55, which is a huge amount of money when your rent's only a buck and a quarter right. in yeah. the city. You know, that's... And um, I said, you know, you'd go out to these Jersey gigs and you'd have to bend your act a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. You're all, I, I, you know, you'd, you'd go, you're going to have to get a little dirtier. Mm-hmm. You might have to play with the crowd some, but Jerry wouldn't. He'd stick to, this is the material that I'm preparing to do on the Tonight Show. Like, he's, he's I'm not wow. just performing this for you right now. I'm yeah. performing this on the Tonight Show. So he wouldn't. He wouldn't, saw kind of a career. Out yeah, of yeah. He had a vision uh-huh. and he had a discipline to make that happen. I'd go, oh, I'm going, I'll throw some F-bombs in there, right and left. I got to get some laughs right here, right, right now, you know. See, that's the thing I never understood, especially with, like, Jerry, you bring him up. Like, there's all these, like, I hear crazy stories, like, Rob and all these guys would go in the bathroom, they'll do drugs, and, like, all oh, these, you know, yeah, it's just a yeah, crazy yeah. party scene. It's kind of like rock and roll. And then you have Jerry Seinfeld coming in here, and he's in the sweater, and he's doing clean material. Like, how did, how, what was the culture like, like, in New well, York? Well, no, when I found out, you know, like, I made a choice, and Jerry was someone who said this to me, and I'm yeah. not making this up. He I worked with him. There's one of those Jersey gigs where he come back and says, why do you curse so much, man? Huh. You're not going to be able to do that on television. And I was like, well, I'll just take the curse words out. He said, but it'll mess up the timing of your joke. Wow. Your joke won't, won't work as well. Yeah. You know, and, and I was like, oh, he said, look, you know, you're funny. Work clean. And you know what? It worked better for me. Because I was like a clean-cut looking guy. Mm. And when I worked clean, the audience was like, they're cool with that. Right. I probably made them feel a little uncomfortable as much as I was cursing the way I looked. You know, it yeah. just didn't... It worked better for me. He was right on every count because the timing of my jokes were that much easier to take from the stage. And and the audiences back then, you got to remember, people, they didn't have any kind of preconceived notion of going like, well, the other guys all work dirty. Every Everybody, a lot of people were trying to work clean. Right. Because the goal was to get on television. And this was network television in the 1980s, mm-hmm. which was clean, yeah. clean, clean. Not Comedy Central, we'll beep it out later stuff. Exactly. You know. Yeah, so it was different. That's crazy. Yeah, just to have that. Yeah, yeah, so so when I, I started or... doing it, so I started working that way because I wanted to get on the Tonight Show too. How do you think that is? Sometimes we're like, because you're a writer and you write a lot of material. How when some material doesn't sound right when it comes from you, you know, it, like you, it'll work for somebody else, but it won't I, work from it, a personal. It, you know, one of the things that you need to learn is what the audience finds funny in you, how they see you, mm-hmm. who are you? I, Rodney Dangerfield once had a great line to me. He's he's because I wasn't taping at the time. We were talking about getting better. He says, well, you got to tape. I said, well, I'll tape it because I don't like the sound of my voice. I sounded stupid. My, I didn't like my accent. I didn't, like what, I didn't even like the way my voice sounded. Right? Yeah. And so I, I, I knew I was supposed to be listening to my tapes. I was not supposed to be. I'd just tape and throw them in the drawer. Or mm-hmm. And uh, Rodney says, well, you got to. You got to. Forget it, man. You're, you're, of course you're not, you're not, you don't sound smart. You're not a brain surgeon. You're an idiot. You're a comic. <laughs> don't, don't bother about that. You got to listen to what the audience laughs at because they'll tell you what's funny about yourself, right? And mm. he said individually they may be orangutans, but as a group they're genius. Yeah, and they're right. They'll tell you. And he was right because when I started listening to tapes, I noticed when I tried to do social political material, like you know that sort of thing, right? They didn't laugh so much. But when I talked about regular things, especially if I talked about 
being in a relationship because I wasn't one of those guys that was not in a relationship. I couldn't just, I didn't relate to guys doing like blind date jokes. I never went out on blind dates. Mm-hmm. I was in a relationship. Yeah. I wasn't just, you know, there was a lot of comics that did jokes about, oh, my girlfriend just broke up with me stuff. So when I talked about being in a relationship, it, they, they laughed a lot. So I started doing more what they were laughing at and less of the other stuff. So if I came up with a good political joke, I'd give it to one of my friends who was a political comedian, like a yeah. Bill Maher or someone like that. Wow. So, yeah, you're right. You got yeah, you just the listen. What, will listen tell you. They'll tell you what's funny about yourself. Yeah. You know, you know yourself. They're not like you, you, you got to find out if you're funny or not. You know before you, I mean. Right. There are people who go up there, when I, I've watched open mics where I go, Whoever laughed with you, I'm, I'm sure there's some people <laughs> laughed at you, but who laughed with you? That's Where true. did you get the idea this would be a thing you could do? Oh, so you know, many I, of them. Right? You know, you watch them, you go, wow. I mean, there's not a hint of a sense of yeah. humor there. Like, I'm laughing, but not, not because the, of the you think material. No, no, no. I mean, who gave you the idea this could be something that would be good for you? And it, us. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's weird. Even if you force it, the audience knows that it's forced. No, you know no, they can read it no. so fast. And if you try, and and they, it's Len, Lenny Bruce said it. Mm-hmm. He said, "It's the truth." And once they, if you start lying to them, once they catch you lying, like you're not being yourself or whatever it is, you'll lose them. You'll lose yeah. them. Lose them. And so for me, I, I, you know, trying to be something I wasn't. I tried every kind of technique or every kind of thing. I tried every persona you could think of. I tried yeah. being like Rodney Dangerfield one-liners mm. when I was in D.C. I tried, when I first started, I tried doing Steve Martin. Like I actually like tried to learn to play guitar and I yeah. wrote a couple of song parodies. Uh, one was uh, Born to Bowl instead of Born to Run by Springsteen. <laughs> and one was uh, Running on Money instead of Running on Empty by Jackson Brown. <laughs> but the problem was I couldn't play guitar very well. Yeah. So I'd look down to see what chord I was strumming and then I'd forget the words I was supposed to say. It was like a <laughs> chew gum and walk at the same kind. Right, yeah. I, I, I tried everything. I tried every sort of bringing props on stage. I tried everything. But eventually I, I landed in sort of like the... Robert Klein, Richard Pryor, George Carlin. Totally, yeah. I, 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 you know, someone once said, "What did you get from Richard Pryor?" And I was nothing like Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. But what I did get from him, the way he performed, the way he acted, that way he gave everything he had to the performance. That's all. I mean, the way he gave everything to the performance. Yeah, you know, you could see it. it Absolutely. All, it's like they say sometimes, like you know, the athlete leaves it all on the field. Well, Pryor left it all on the stage. That's true. Yeah. Just the transparency yeah, of like yeah. how honest. Yeah, you could. Yeah, just brutal. but just the, the physical performance of it. Because yeah. I don't know if I even could have get to the honesty. I don't know if I could have got to the to the to the. There's no way I could get to the to, to the quality of the material right. or the, the quality of the performance. But just given everything you have to the performance, that I could get. Absolutely. That's what I got from him. Very cool. And you just mentioned uh, Bill Maher. And I heard you talking about you were working on his book, True Stories, and you, well, you guys were writing uh, a, wrote a script together, an adaptation. Uh, the, that Bill, I love that book. It's so a great was, book. Yeah, and I hope he gets it done with HBO. I, I worked with him on it. Um, it's his book. Uh, he had a version of the script, and then I rewrote it. And uh, I, I don't know. I hope it, it's a. It, I think it's a great script. And it's such a great time of comedy too. It's just like late seventies, right? And that kinda? was seventy nine, eighty. Yeah. So he has that right from the before it broke because mm. seventy nine. There, there were a couple of Jersey gigs. And then there was Washington, D.C. had a place called Garvin's, which was the first club on the East Coast to pay comics to come out of town. Yeah. And then there were there were just a couple of clubs on, on the West Coast. There was the last stop down in, in um, oh God, not Huntington Beach. I can't think of it now. Oh, the last stop. It was down in, uh, I'll think of it as soon as we finish. Yeah. And then there was the comedy store down in, it started Pacific Beach and then moved to La Jolla. Right. And the Comedy Magic Club opened in 78. Hermosa, yeah. Yeah. But uh, there were only three clubs that were paying out in the West Coast and just the one... 
And in 1980, they just started popping up everywhere. Yeah. They started exploding. And uh, I heard you used to open and tour with uh, Sam Kinison. No, I was friends with Sam. I never, with Sam. Yeah, okay. we, we worked a couple of gigs together locally here in Los mm-hmm. Angeles before he broke big. And he broke big in 85. And he was a guy to change the game because he was the first guy to break outside of network television, outside of Johnny Carson. He broke off an HBO Young Comedian special. And it was huge. Yeah. Because then you could, everybody's like, well, you don't, you can curse. You, I saw guys' acts change overnight with Kennison. Everybody got angrier and they got, they cursed a lot more. Yelling, yeah. Yeah, they started cursing louder, <laughs> angrier curse. He changed a lot of guys' acts, that's for sure. And you had a HBO special too, right? Yeah, I did. And I was watching that the other night and it was so funny. And like, what was the response for that? Because you were one of the first people to have an HBO special. No, they were. Yeah, we were in that whole, they called them one-night stands, and they were uh-huh. half hour. So I might have been the first year they did that, the first bunch, Robin Harris, and um, there was just a whole bunch of us. They, they did, they went, we were supposed to do it in San Francisco, wherever that earthquake was, 89 or something okay, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 88, wherever it was. 89, yeah, yeah, 89. Yeah. Yeah, so it was supposed to be there in San Francisco, a theater there. They had the earthquake, the theater was, was wrecked, mm-hmm. and so we moved to Chicago. And we did it in Chicago, the Vic Theater in Chicago, I think it was. I mean, what was that like? Because it it's, it's, you know, it's not Carson, you know, so you, do, you know what you're getting I, into. And again, I, I probably overprepared for it. Yeah. I probably made it too too tight. My performance was a little too tight because I just, you know, I treated it like a, a Tonight Show, and I should have just peeled off a half hour of whatever I was doing and done it instead of trying to construct, which I didn't even know how to do. If, you know, you construct these little four or five-minute Tonight Show spots. Right. They were very artificial. It's like a greatest hits package. And mm-hmm. for, you're taking a bit from here, a joke from there, then a joke from there, and then you weld them together with these convoluted segues. You, yeah. know? you finish your airport bit, you go, you know, my mom doesn't like to fly. Anyway, my mom was cooking, and it just, <laughs> you use that to get to this. And and, and it's just there are these disconnected bits that True. all jam together. Well, then, instead of going, well, I'm just going to take a half, because I was doing an hour, an hour and a half shows easily in the clubs, I should have just taken a half hour out of it. Just going, I'm done a half hour. Yeah. And see where I land. But I tried to construct this perfect, tight, tight 30 minutes, half hour yeah. and then practiced it like like a maniac. <laughs> so I had it like memorized. So all of a sudden I'm a robot up there. And uh, it, 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 I look at it now, I go, I could have been a lot looser and more fun. It didn't, it, didn't equate, it didn't equate to what I was doing in the clubs. If you saw that and then saw Came me to a club, club. Different show. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It should have been like a live album performance, and I try to make it a studio album. See, you say it's so tight, but like I spend all time like watching these old Johnny Carsons and old HBO specials all the time on YouTube and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you were the one first like people, not to like stroke your ego or anything, but you were one of the first people where it was kind of like a huge story instead of just like little yeah, like, I wanted, with, like I, yeah, I wanted to dump segues, you know, where yeah. it's like I'm I'm waiting for the punchline. Yours sure. was like a fluid, yeah. And I feel like you changed the game in that regard. A lot of wow. people started doing I don't, that. I I I do know that I. I was, when I was doing relationship stuff, there weren't guys doing relationship stuff, right. talking about men and women stuff. And then that changed. There, all of a sudden, there's a lot of people doing mm. that. But not like they, they didn't know that you could... It's like somebody has to pull pull the cable out and show it, expose it. Right. The, the, this the, works. This works, exactly. Yeah. You know, like the first comic, it goes... Uh, uh, people now reckon... There had to be a comic, and I think might have been Alan King. Like, say people were, weren't flying mm. like back in the 40s or 50s. It was a wealthy person flew, that's it. Exactly. Then all of a sudden, they started opening up more commercial. So there had to be the first comic that went, there are enough people now flying that regular audience members knows what I'm talk- know what I'm talking right. about when I talk about flying. So there had to be somebody to expose that first. Then every other comic went, oh, I'm going to do a flying bit. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, when you don't know and you watch it, you're like, oh, well, everybody has done that. But if you pinpoint where it first happened, right, you're like, right. wow, that was a huge gateway right. into a bunch yeah. of other. Material. I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't. There were there were there was that. You know, there was I didn't. There were certain things I just never joked about or did things. I never did. I didn't like making fun of things I felt people couldn't uh, change. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. And I didn't like uh, making fun of things. I didn't like shooting down comedy, like making fun of people who were. So I, I related, like I never liked fat women jokes. I never liked fat blind date jokes. I never liked that. I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't, it didn't appeal to me. You know which jokes I never understood and I what? hate? Right. Homeless jokes when people I, do that? Yeah. Because that guy's that? not at the club. He's what? not watching your set exactly. on TV. So what's, exactly. who's that for? Yeah, and, and, and why are you making fun of you shooting down? It's like a homeless guy. Yeah, really? You're going to pick on the homeless guy? <laughs> it's like the worst kind of yeah. joke to me. But. Yeah, I had one, the only joke I even had, I didn't know it was homeless at the time. They mm-hmm. didn't call him homeless. But I lived in New York in 79. I lived down in the East Village. Again, this New York City was totally different. Yeah. It was like, a, you ever see that movie Escape from New York? No, it was like Escape <laughs> from New York, okay? And it was, the village was like, half the buildings were abandoned and there were squatters everywhere. And, and it was really, you know. And there was this one guy, I'd walk out of my building, I'd get down the end of the block, and he's always there. And he always had a funny line. Yeah. I go, uh, he goes, you guys, you got any, um, you got any spare money? I go, no. He goes, neither do I. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> and I'd give him a buck. I go, I gotta get, you made me laugh. Right. And he'd always have a line. He goes, hey, give me, he says, give me some money. I'm going to waste it on booze and broads. <laughs> you know, I go, you give him a buck. Right. You know? So I, I talked about that guy one time and got some laughs talking about, but then I even felt weird like that. I realized maybe they're laughing at him instead of yeah. him being funny. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's a pitiful situation. I didn't like shooting down comedy. I think comedy works best when you shoot up. Positive. You know, go well, no, exactly. or or make fun of the people at the top. Yeah, totally. Right, uh-huh. not make fun of the people below. Yes, yeah, that's no. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, I I don't like to hear it. Yeah, and just to backtrack a little bit, what was your like the first Johnny Carson like when you went out there? I I like to go in huge detail when I talk to guys who've been on the Tonight Show. I mean, was it nerve wracking? I was there so the... prepared. I was so prepared. I'd practiced so many times, and it was. I was so stressed out. And again, you, know, you talk about the drinking and drugging. I was doing a lot of drinking and drugging then. And um, alcohol and cocaine was the main thing. But anything else I could get my hands on. And I I just quit for like two weeks before. I, I knew I could not. So I, I cold turkeyed. So I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do yeah. drugs. So I'm getting shaped like for the big game. Mm-hmm. And it stressed me out. Not being able to drink or do drugs stressed me so out, out so much. This is the truth. Do you, do you know what shingles are? Yeah. It's an old man, old person's illness. It's the, you know, the smallpox fire. Smallpox. Right. It's chicken pox. It's a smallpox. It's bubonic plague. It's <laughs> Ebola it's for Ebola, old yeah. So it's chicken pox that goes in your, and it comes out, breaks out, and usually it only happens with old people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. All of a sudden, I broke out with these blisters on my butt and my thigh. Oh, Painful. Yeah. And I and this is like a few days before I do Tonight Show, maybe two days before. And I go into a doctor, an emergency doctor, and he goes, oh my God, you got shingles. I never saw a guy. I was 30. <laughs> two days before. <laughs> I, I was th- I was like 31 years old. He goes, I don't see anybody with shingles. <laughs> You're 31 years old. How did this happen? I was like, I'm stressed out, man. Oh. He said, stress. He said, that's it. I mean, you know, he, he told me, he said, you got to be stressed out about something. Yeah. And uh, so I went on. I had like pads on my, my you know, because they were these open sores. It's terrible. Wow. And I, so I was in a little physical pain that way, but I was so jacked up to do it. That's incredible. And to me, I, I like to tell you, I thought this exuberance, but my, I tell you, my thought was don't screw up. And are you even in the moment able to enjoy it, or are you just kind of like no over yourself? No, watching? I never. When I got doing it later, and I had more confidence, yeah. then I could appreciate it. But I was just like, 
you know, here's this job. Boom, that worked. I'm like, you know, you're like, like on a, I imagine, you know, just riding a horse or something. I just got the reins. I'm like, okay, yeah. we're flowing with it. Good. Everything's going okay. Right. I just let it go. And here's the next one. And I was so happy I remembered the next bit, you know, because my fear was like, I'd just go blank. Yeah. You know, so I just like, okay, the next bit. Next bit. Wow. And then Johnny gave you, did he give you the I okay? Got the, I got the okay. So cool. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get the drum pencil. Oh, you know, the pencil when tapping on board. When he's tapping the pencil in the, at the end, that's that might as well pull a trap door into your career. He's <laughs> just tapping the, the pencil to this. Yeah, you're crane. done. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, bring out the hook. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's really. Cool, I didn't though. get called to. I think it was the third time I did it. Um, Got panel. Night panel, but not. I wow. didn't get called before that. Yeah. It's not like a Stephen Wright set. He was the only one who got the first time. No, I think right? there were other people. I think Drew Carey might Drew have. Carey Roseanne might have. You know, Drew Carey, Rich was telling me his story about how he got The Tonight Show, and it was back, you know, before cell phones or emails or anything. So they called the Comedy Magic Club to say, hey, is Drew there? You know, we want a comic for tonight. Yeah. And then they couldn't get a hold of Drew for like a day or two. And then they called him again. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, hey, you know, they want you for the Tonight Show. And he's like, what? I didn't get any phone calls. Or yeah, yeah. Like so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I think after that, Drew might have gotten like an 800 number. He was like the first oh, really? comic I know never got a hand or he probably did that after That's he did so his smart. first Tonight Show. He goes, I'm not going to miss me again. I got an 800 number. You can call from anywhere in the world to get I'll me now. I'll pick up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and then I was watching your uh, documentary again, I Am Comic, and yeah. I watched it so many times. It's so great. Oh, my God. And uh, you took a break for how long from stand-up? Was it five years? Oh, or no, 10 no, years? no. Yeah, it was, um, I think I, my last one was, I think my last tonight, tonight Show was like 95 with Leno. And um, I think by 97, I was done, not performing on the road at all. What was the I was reason? writing for TV. Okay. And I just lost the incentive. I just kind of faded away. Once I wasn't, I didn't think I had any kind of career left in stand-up comedy. And, and, and I would have said, like, oh, now it's my retirement. But people have to know you're gone before they say <laughs> you're <laughs> retirement. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was no need to announce my retirement. I just wasn't doing it. Yeah. And, you know, the way stand-up comedy is, it's... You, you think you make it a big deal? Maybe certain people would make a big deal. But for me, I was just in the line with everybody else. So when I stepped that line, people just moved forward and said, thank you. Thank you. And I'm just closer to, to the stage now myself. You're just not taking up the stage time. So nobody said, hey, don't, don't do that. You got to do it. I just found myself not going on stage all of a sudden. I was going less and, you know, it was gradual, mm -hmm. less and less. I never made the big announcement. I never said to myself, I'm not doing it. One day I found myself not doing it. Right. I was writing for other comics. I was writing for TV. And I just wasn't going on stage, and I just found myself not doing it. Then it just became, I didn't do it for a whole year, then two years. Three. So from like 97 till I came back with Jordan Brady's documentary yeah. um, in 2010. So whatever wow. it is, 13, 14 years, yeah. whatever. And, I mean, did you feel like during that time, you're still writing comedy, but did you feel like you're missing something? or? Oh, was I was, was missing hard? something. Yeah. I was missing something because... I, I, you know, I quit doing comedy and within a year or so I was in seeing a therapist clinically depressed. Oh, jeez. I mean, I, I, what I miss from stand-up comedy, it's, it's, it's a huge sigh for me. I mean, it, we always joke around about, you know, comics like to call themselves healers and, and we're out there, you know, healing people <laughs> and with our healing laughter and all that sort of stuff. But the, the truth is that comics get at least as much out of it as any audience member. Yeah. For, at least for me and the comics I observe, there's a lot of, it's not therapy. People will say it's therapy. It's, you're not doing stand-up right. There's a danger to that, right? Yeah, when no, just... that's ridiculous, yeah. stupid. Anybody <laughs> says, all right, when I'm there, it's like therapy. It's not therapy. Because yeah. when I'm on therapy, I'm not trying to make the therapist laugh. Exactly. My whole point of being on stage is, is not to find some undiscovered truth. It's to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. Like, I find an undiscovered truth and they can laugh, that's fantastic. But for me, if you're up there in some sort of self-indulgent, I'm just trying to work out my issues. Yeah. You know, 
you know, find somebody. Don't punish a crowd with exactly. your issues. <laughs> You're up there to make them laugh. Right. Totally. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine the same thing, like not doing because it's not like riding a bike or anything. Like if you take a week or two off from doing it, it's so hard to you're, go you're, back in. You, it, it's a muscle that it's, uh, there's some ways it is like a bike. You do know how to do it and mm -hmm. you can get back to it faster. Like I got back to it faster than some person. Say you took some guy that again, I'm uh, you know my age. I was 57 when I came back to mm -hmm. it, I guess, right? So say you take somebody who's like 57, 56, whatever, and they'd never done stand up before, then it's oh, going to yeah. be really hard. But I had done stand up, so I kind of knew that that it was there for me if I just worked hard enough to get it back. But right. as a muscle, I was flat, man. I was, I was very out of shape. I mean, it was great to see that first one that you came back it's recorded yeah you started just riffing with the crowd and yeah. stuff and like, yeah that's a comic like, yeah yeah i know? had the instincts exactly like, you know that that i'm glad you Jordan put that in there because there was a little bit of like oh, wait a minute when i felt when i bit into that one thing mm -hmm. about the heineken sign or whatever it was right. whatever and i go and, and yeah, even up on stage i went oh oh, oh i got it i got <laughs> something here you know you just got a hook on yeah yeah i was a yeah. terrier i bit into that rat i was like i know how to shake this <laughs> When I saw you at the Purple Onion too, you did like I think an hour of like material, and then at the end, I think somebody asked you to to tell some stories, and you right. were telling some great stories about right. like coming up, and you yeah. told the one that I remember was uh, like during like the days like the drug days and stuff, people go into the bathroom and they the booker would pay guys with coke, I guess. Oh, that happens sometimes, yeah. yeah. And like the drug guy would put his knife in. Oh no, that's bag. a whole different story. Oh, that's a different You're story. talking about the guys. This is how, how much what an addict I was at the end. There I was down in South Carolina. And uh, after the show, I come off stage, and these two guys come up to me and go, hey, you want to do some blow? I was like, yeah, I had cocaine in my pocket, but if I could do yours first, that's a right. fantastic deal, right? <laughs> so we go into the bathroom, and the guys have tattoos, like a skinny little guy, skin, not little, but they're skinny guys, yeah. and they got tattoos all over. Now, this is 1983. Tattoos were not in. Right. The only people had tattoos were some in the military or in prison. Exactly. These were prison they guys. They were scary. These so. were prison guys, yeah. yeah. And so he pulls out a sandwich bag, I mean a little sandwich bag, almost filled with coke i go whoa i got some new friends here i gotta hang with these guys and then he pulls out a buck knife right and that's what he's using to to, to let me snort off of yeah but he's digging the thing the point of it into my upper lip you know oh, like, sort of like you know that's how he knows where he's he's got it there you right. know boom in a, oh stopped it stopped you know it stopped in my lip <laughs> and then i snort it well of course the the, the effect of cocaine is it freezes your whole face in your head so you don't even feel i it. don't feel it. i don't know that i got like this hitler mustache of blood blood you know <laughs> under my lip because i'm just doing blow and then these guys are like oh we we got stories to tell you we were in prison we got stories and i'm like oh yeah come to our house come over with us we're gonna party there we got some got some gals like gals cocaine stories that's my name man. right let's go so we were leaving we we're walking out of the bathroom and the club that you know, the, the, these were this was after the show, so nobody really left in the club. Mm. As I'm walking out the door with these two guys, the the club owner goes, "Rich, Rich, Rich, your wife's on the phone." I was married at the time yep. to a, another comic, mm. and and she was in New York, so he's like, "Your wife's on the phone, calling from New York." I said, "Well, tell her I'm on research and development. You know, <laughs> you know, I got, I got, I'm out in expedition here, scouting new jokes, you know, whatever kind of BS, you know." Right. And he goes, uh, "No, no, no, you got to talk to her. It's an emergency. You got to talk to your wife." I tell these two guys, I'll be right back. Hold on mm -hmm. a minute. So I go back in there, and he's there with a couple other guys who ran a club. One of the guys was a state's attorney, right? And I didn't care that I was doing cocaine. That wasn't it. <laughs> they said, listen, you can't go with those two guys. They're under surveillance right now by the state troopers, by the DEA. Oh, my There's God. all these law enforcement agencies watching those two guys. They just got out of prison, and they're suspecting of killing another drug dealer. 
And those <laughs> drugs you're doing are probably stolen from this drug dealer. And they're going to bust <laughs> these guys soon. You can't go with them. Yeah. I go, okay. So I go out there. Like, I can't go. My wife, you know, I don't know what I told him. You know, my wife's having a baby. I forgot right. she's having a baby. <laughs> Got to stay by the phone. Want to hear that baby. Yeah. You know, whatever lie I told. Jeez. They left. Next day in the paper, Sunday paper, these guys were busted. They talked right in the front page. Big bust. These two guys oh my and God. four young women, you know, age yeah. 18, 19, whatever. And a lot of cocaine and the murder weapon that oh. they used to kill the guy with. And I would have been sitting right there. Was you it know, the going, buckshot night? What? Or? I don't know what. <laughs> That's a good question. I never even thought about it. I never even thought of it. I'm doing blow, blow off the night they killed him. But, it might but have been DNA on the they, na- they nailed these guys. And I would have been sitting there going, I- I'm just a comedian, you know? And they would have been like, he's the ringleader. Without his brains, we can't figure this out. You know, I've been sucked into their whatever there was. Oh, my God. Well, that would have been a new headshot for Hollywood. <laughs> a new headshot. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. And then... Um, during that time, you were writing for comics too. You were writing for. Are we allowed to say their names? Like yeah. Jeff Foxworthy yeah. and like Ron White. Ron White. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. I enjoyed watching them get laughs from my material yeah. that I've written for them. Or sometimes I just gave material that I pretty much stripped down my act and sold it back in the when I got out of it doing it. You know, mm. comics were found that I was selling my act, and so a couple of comics were like pay me good money for wow. what I used to do and yeah. get, get laughs with. So when I came back, I had to write a lot of new material because I didn't have that much left to perform anyway because I'd sold a lot of it. I mean, what is when you decide to come back, Yeah, is it terrifying knowing that you're starting with nothing or was that kind of rejuvenating? You're like, I want to I write new stuff. I probably could have gone up and done. I had enough old material to go up and do it. Right. But I felt like I needed to do new material. I felt like I, besides some of the stuff you just can't do anymore. Yeah. It just feels old. It's like a coat you outgrow. You know, you go, wow, the sleeve's a little too short, man. Can't wear this anymore. The material might have been dated because of whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I used to do this bit called Canyon Man. And sometimes people even come out and see me. There's people in Cleveland this weekend. I was just there. And they say, oh, you used to love you to do this Canyon Man character. Could you do that? And I said, I can't do it. Because the the jokes are integral to that bit. They're no longer, would work. Right. One of the jokes were about the new thing then. This is, again, like 1987, 88, Mm -hmm. whatever. Power windows and power door locks were standard features, obviously, yep. for these Jeep Cherokees and other cars. Well, everybody's got power windows and power door locks now. It doesn't have any bite to me right. make jokes about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. And yeah. uh, I was just reading your book again, I Killed. Yeah. And I've read this a couple times, too. And it was funny. I was reading this. I was parking cars up on the roof of the Comedy Magic Get the other really? night. Yeah. And I'm reading it under the light. And I'm reading, like, Havy's story. And Alan Havy pulls in. And I'm reading Orny's story. No. Orny pulls in. No. And I'm trying to explain to them, I was just reading you in the no, book. That's they so think funny. I sound like a psychopath. <laughs> Havy uh, wrote, very few people wrote their stories in that book. I killed. Most of them were told over the phone. We recorded them yeah. and then had them transcribed. And there's some mistakes made with the transcription. Uh, Mark Marin gave us a story we credited somebody else. Oh, no. You know, for one guy to screw up. Is it in here? For one guy to screw up, it'd be Mark Marin. Yeah, I can't remember whose story it was. Yeah. I got it written down somewhere. I, I try not to think about it too much because <laughs> it's a massive screw up. You know, guy's good enough to give us a story and we give it to somebody else. <laughs> it's a fantastic story. Can we put somebody else's name to it? I mean, it was it was terrible. There were, we made a lot of mistakes, but um, Havy wrote his story himself. It's such a great story. And it's a great story. Oh. And he did a great job writing it. It's I love one of my those, stories. just the old school mob yeah. crab stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and I love the fact when he was leaving, the guy goes, it's a good thing you're leaving because yeah. you never know when these guys will turn. <laughs> like, Havy, like, did his show and got away with it, you know, oh, and scored big and got yeah. his laughs. 
But, you know, he's like, and he's leaving, and one of the waiters goes, smart move, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, leave right yeah, now. Don't be one of those idiots who think you can now hang with a mob. <laughs> I was talking to Jimmy Brogan, and he was yeah. telling me how, like, some guy pulled him into, like, you know, the back room, and how, like, Piscobo <laughs> got thrown, or got his nose broken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like... That's a catcherizing story. That's the same place that that story is in there where Seinfeld got the glass thrown at him. Jeez. And I think somebody told me that it was the same mobster that did it to Seinfeld and to Piscopo. Gosh. And these guys, they would do this stuff, and they would leave the room. They wouldn't get thrown out. Right. They'd walk back and yeah. sit down. Got to move the, and, get and, the comic and, out. And they'd go to the comic, get out of here, get out of here, go home, come back in a couple of days. <laughs> I mean, it broke my nose. Yeah, that's right. You're lucky it was just a nose. Get out of here. <laughs> to me, that sounds like the days, though. Like, yeah, you got yeah. a mob guy in that crowd. That's, yeah. that's a hilarious audience. Oh, jeez. And, uh, well, that was, the, you know, that was, it was so much of I me. Mean, you talk to those guys from the older generation beyond us, and the clubs were very much mob run or whatever, or Vegas or whatever it was. And, and, and apparently, you talk to any of the comics, most of the comics, those old comics, and they'll say, and it was great. They ran them well. They treated you well. If you knew what to do, weren't an idiot. Right. You were fine. Yep. Yeah. Leno opens with that every week. He goes, oh. he goes the mob you know, clubs weren't much different from the Marriott Corporation. So <laughs> exactly. It's pretty much the exactly. same. In fact, yeah. probably more friendly and more fun. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for meeting with oh, me today, you. sir. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Anytime, Aaron. Thank it was you, a sir. pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Stop calling me, sir. You're killing me, man. <laughs>